You know, last week we talked about the fact that Job may well be in the Bible to say the stuff we can't say in church. You know, it may well be in the Bible to say the things we just don't say to each other when we're together trying to build up each other's faith. These tend to be the things we say sometimes when our faith is knocked off balance, sometimes when we aren't, you know, in full alignment with God and when we're frustrated with God and we're even angry with God. And these are the thoughts that come into our head and maybe even the thoughts that we dwell on for a long time. And maybe Job's in the Bible. I think Ecclesiastes is kind of like this too. Several of the Psalms kind of are in this zone too. They're in there to say to us, look, you aren't the first person to struggle with this stuff. The people of faith have been worried about this and have been knocked off balance before. People of faith have wondered these things about God and about God's justice and about God's goodness. People have worried about this for a long, long time. I don't know, but I wonder if that's why these books are there and if that's what they have to share with us. Even if you're not right now off balance and you've never had a doubt in your life even, maybe these books are there to help you to know what other people feel like so that you can be a better minister. These books help us and minister to us, perhaps in our ministry to others. This will be the last sermon uh, out of the book of Job. Sigh of relief? No? I don't know. Um, and, and this kind of gets to one of the extra sufferings that Job had. We had all of these horrible things that Satan did to him with God's permission. But this is something that he was doing to himself. His own brain was making his life a misery. Because he was demanding from God an explanation. This actually starts very early in the book, and it's just a rolling theme that Job just cannot get off of. He comes back to it again and again and again. He has several speeches and again and again and again, he comes back to this idea. It's kind of a half of a fantasy, half of a craving that he has. You know, I wish there was somebody, he says early in chapter 9, he says, I wish there was somebody that could grab us both and take us into court. But who can grab God? You know, God's, God's the power. He, nobody can, can make us go into the courtroom so we could both stand there and be forced to testify. Right? He wants to sue God. He wants God in the courtroom. If you have the study sheet that was handed out, then you can follow along with this. Otherwise, get your fingers ready. We're going to look at several passages. Turn first to Job chapter 23. Job chapter 23. And look at verse 3. Oh, that I knew where I could find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would lay my case before him, and I would fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. That's Job saying, if I could just get to the courtroom of God, 
that I could that I could lay my case. I could I could make my I could tell him that I'm not deserving of the punishment he's laid on me. This suffering feels like God's holding me guilty for something I didn't do. And and I, I could just explain it to him if I could just get to him. But I can't get to him. Verse 8, look down in verse 8. Behold, I go forward, he's not there. I go backward, I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he's working, I don't behold him. He turns to the right hand, I don't see him. Job says, I, I could explain things to God, and he would see it my way if I could just talk to him, if I could just get him in the room with me, but I can't even find him. Turn all the way towards, uh, well, the last third of the book. Turn over to Job 31. Look down in verse 35 of Job 31. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here's my signature. It's like he's saying, I'm, you know, I'm signing the subpoena. Here's my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Oh, that I had the indictment written by my adversary. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it on me as a crown. I would give him an account of all my steps like a prince. I would approach him. That passage tells me how off balance Job is because... I've believed in the judgment of God my whole life. I've never once thought I would be able to approach the judgment seat of God like a prince. I've never once thought, boy, I can't wait. God's going to look at my life and go, whew, you're blowing me away, Jim. You're, I don't have anything to say. No notes. <laughs> you know, I've never once, and, and Job is so convinced that his punishment or his suffering is unjust that he thinks that's the way it might go if he were in a courtroom with God. Like a prince, I would, I would put my life's record, like I, don't, I imagine it like a general's epaulets or something coming off his shoulders or you know, make a paper hat, I don't know. But anyway, and I would just, I'd march up to God's judgment seat. You, you get it. I mean, when your faith's knocked off balance, when suffering has just ground you into feels like dust, you say stuff like that, and we get it. We get it. This is driving Job crazy. It's driving him into these fantasies. If God could somehow be forced to explain things, Job thinks he would be at peace. That's really where we are. He could just somehow get God into a situation where God could be forced to explain all this. Job thinks that would finally set my heart at peace. Job is used to being, you can tell by the speeches, Job is used to being the smartest guy in the room. We got a congregation with a lot of smart people. Got a lot of wise women in this congregation. Got a lot of wise men in this congregation. 
Some people who are used to being the smartest people in the room. Job's one of those. And one of the things that drives wise people crazy is not being able to figure something out. You know? And so this is driving Job nuts. And I just want God to make it clear to me. Like I've got God, my, my concept of God and God's justice on one hand. And this, this suffering of mine, which is just overwhelming, it's the kind of thing I used to say back when I thought I had everything figured out. I used to say, this is what God does to people who are bad. But I'm not bad. And it's happening to me. And I want God to fix that. I want God to explain it. Like it just, you know, apply a subpoena to God, get him into court and make him, make it clear to me. Then, then, then at least, I mean, I'd still be suffering, but at least it would make sense. It's driving me crazy. It's making Job suffer. I mean, Job is, this is suffering that Job is adding to himself because he's, this is driving him nuts. Maybe the most famous passage of this, pi, of this part of Job, of this, uh, this type of speech that's in Job, is in chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, turn over to chapter 19. Look down in verse 23, chapter 19 of Job, verse 23. Oh, Job says, oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in a rock forever. Job says, Man, I wish somehow that, that what's happened to me, the injustice that's taken place here, could be set up as a monument that would endure long past I'm dead. You know, if you have to carve it into stone and melt lead and, you know, encase the letters so that, so that for, forever, People look and say, Job was unjustly treated by God. I wish that could happen. That's what I want. I want a book written that keeps a record of my pain, of my tears, of my weeping. I want it forever to be known. That's what I want. And he says this, this is a strange thing. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand on the earth after my skin has been destroyed. Yet in my flesh I will see God, whom I shall see for myself. My eyes will behold, not somebody else, not another. <sighs> my heart faints within me. He says, I give up. My heart faints within me. Now, some people read that passage and say, Job is supernaturally given knowledge beyond his time. And maybe he was, I don't know. You know, I really don't know. But I know at least something happened there. In his despair, in his exhaustion, in his being faith out of balance, he does kind of imagine what it would take to fix what he feels like is wrong. He says, what I really desperately need 
is to know for sure that everything that's happened to me is not just going to vanish when I vanish. It's not going to be a puff of mist that goes away when I go away. What I need to know for sure, what I wish with all my heart could be true, is that like, even though I can't get to God, somebody could be up there with God pleading my case for me, interceding for me with God. I wish. Job doesn't know that that's true, I don't think, but he, he wishes that could be true. He's kind of like imagining his own tears going up there to God or his own blood going up there to God. Now, I wish somebody could be there that had my side and could be my lawyer. That's redeemer can mean, you know, like your advocate in heaven or the advocate in court. He says, and he says, you know what I really wish is that even though I'm dead, I wish I could be there to see that happen. And he says, my heart faints with, I, I give up. I, I know that's all not going to happen, but I, that's what I wish. It's an astonishing passage. Because everything that Job hoped for, I think, in despair, he didn't really think, I don't think he really thought any of this was true. It's just what he thinks should be true. It's all actually true. Is there a book where your tears and your suffering are permanently recorded? Psalms 52, you have kept count of my tossing. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And there are so many passages that talk about God's record of us. Is there going to be a time when the dead are raised and God pronounces judgment and victory for the righteous? Job thinks, man, that's what should happen. I just don't expect it to happen. That's actually gospel truth. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8, Paul says, I know I'm about to die. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. But I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award for me on that day, and not only to me, but all who have loved his appearing. That's going to happen. What Job, you know, half wished for, half was bitter that it wasn't going to happen. That's literally the gospel truth. God is going to pronounce righteousness. And Job said, man, I wish there were just somebody in heaven to intercede, some redeemer who could stand there next to God and plead for me. Amazingly, that's also gospel truth as we all now know. Romans 8 34, who is the one who condemns us? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have that Redeemer. He does stand right now in the presence of God. He brings us into the presence of God. You're in the presence of God right now. Jesus pleads your case right now. Jesus makes you righteous in the presence of God right now. Job was not in a position to know any of that. But it is all gospel truth. It's an astonishing, astonishing passage. Job wants desperately for God to make everything clear to him. And he feels like if God could make everything clear to him, that's the thing that would make him have peace. He says, I, I, I look left, I look right, I look up, I look down. I, I can't get God to answer me. And we all know what happens at the end of the book. God answers him. It doesn't go at all like Job expects it to. It doesn't go at all like I expect it to. I have to admit, I, I kind of expect God to bring out a PowerPoint presentation and lay out, well, this is how evil works in the world. And I, I expect there to be some explanation. God doesn't explain anything at the end of the book of Job. And that's the lesson of the book of Job. Instead, what God does when he answers Job is to explain Job to Job. This is where you are in the scheme of things, Job. You need to know who you really are and who I am. And this is what's going to actually give you comfort and peace. Then the Lord answered Job, Job 38. If you want to turn to it in your Bibles, Job 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the world one who said, Who is this? that darkens counsel by words without knowledge. Dress for action like a man, and I, I will question you, and, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched out the line upon it? Where its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And it goes on to ask question after question after question, things that Job, if he's honest, says, oh, I don't know that. Oh, I don't know that either. Oh, I don't know that. My favorite is the ostrich. The ostrich has these cute little wings, but he can't fly. They're not like the stork's wing. He can't fly. But if he stretches out his wings and runs, he can he just laughs at the horse and rider trying to chase him. I love that. That's my favorite. That's my favorite. He's asked all these questions, 
saying, Job, I know you're used to being the smartest person in the room. Let me explain where you really fit. You are smart, and that's good. But there are so many things beyond your understanding. There are so many things that, that I handle, because I'm God, that you haven't needed to know, and you don't know, because I manage them. That's the lesson that God teaches Job. God answers Job to suggest <laughs> Job doesn't know enough to understand the explanation. You know, Job's saying, if you would just explain the problem of suffering and evil and justice and God's grand plan for the entire universe, if you just come and explain that to me in five minutes, then everything would be great. And God says, this is where you are in the knowledge chain. This is where you are, your location in the history of God's salvation of the world. And, and this is where you are in your ability to comprehend it. If I told you what I was doing, it wouldn't sink in because you don't have the basis for it. You don't have the basis for it. Just know yourself, Job. Know your limitations. Know who you are. And know me, Job. Know who I am. That's what you really need. You're making things harder on yourself. You're making things worse on yourself. Turn over to Job 42. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. And you asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, Listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. Job, at the very end of the book, gets all his money back. He gets a family that's twice the size of his previous family, and a lot of things are restored to him. He, you know, doesn't completely heal the grief he has from his first tragedies, but, but a lot of things are restored to him. But that's not the real restoration in the book of Job. This is the real restoration in the book of Job, this moment right here. When Job achieves peace, he achieves peace in this moment. He's been driving himself crazy because he doesn't understand. And he says, God, unless you can come down here and give me the explanation that will make me understand the plan of salvation, human history, and why they're suffering, and all of these things, unless you can come and do that to me, I cannot rest. At this moment, he says, yes, I can. <laughs> I can actually do it. I can be at peace letting you be God <laughs> and me not being God. Letting you know things that I don't know. Letting you run things that I can't run. 
That's what Job says. That's the message at the end of the book of Job. I got to tell you something. As a college professor, I'm used to being the smartest guy in the room. It's pretty easy when it's 18-year-olds. I don't like the message at the end of Job any more than you do. I'm one of those that wants God to come down and explain it all. But this is the real message. You and I will gain strength and power and peace once we decide to let God truly be God and recognize who we are. Job is restored not when he understands why God let him suffer, but when he recognizes God as God. If you have a four-year-old and you tell them, you must, you must, you must get some sleep, they may think you're a monster. And there may be no way, given what they know, to explain to them why you actually love them deeply. And it's going to be better for them if they actually get some sleep. They just don't have the basis to comprehend why, right? But you're right, and they're wrong. Jesus said, it's quoted in Mark's, quoted in Luke 2, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of heaven like a little child will never enter it. And the key message here is this. It's great that you understand. It's good to struggle to understand more. We should all try to make as much sense of our faith as we can. But in the end of the day, there are always going to be things about what God is doing, how salvation works, and, and what his plans are that are going to be beyond us. In relation to God, we are all, every one of us, tiny little undeveloped children. God is our loving Father who is hoping and pulling and hope and begging us to take that next step of development. God is wanting you to take that next step of development, whatever it is. You probably know right now what it is that God wants out of you next. God has a thousand ways to be talking to you. He talks to you out of his word. He talks to you from your fellow Christians. He talks to you in your own conscience. What is the next step that your loving father wants you to take to become more like him, to grow up just a little bit more? I pray for you this week that whatever that is, you yield to God and you take that step and grow up one more step. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your love to us. Thank you so much that you care for the universe, the parts we do understand and the parts, so many, many parts we don't. And God, we don't like suffering. We hate it. We know it's tied up with sin and the fall and a lot of other things. But God, help us, please, to constantly constantly come back to our trust in you 
and constantly, constantly learn from you compassion on those who are suffering and learn from you love and generosity to those who need our help. These things we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. If you need to respond to God's invitation, if there's something you need prayers for, or if today is the day you want to put on Jesus Christ in baptism, begin to walk a new walk. We invite you to come forward as we stand and are led in song.